Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from our guest speaker. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Can we give uh, Mac Brock a big hand today for coming to lead us back home? So good to work with Mac. First time I ever came to Gateway, I think it was maybe 2000 or 2001, and uh, Mac was a little skinny, scrawny kid, and his mom was playing drums and rocking it out like she played for Led Zeppelin or Metallica or something like that. And I thought, I want to be friends with these people. So, um, hey, uh, my name's Clayton King. I live in Anderson, South Carolina. Graduated from Hillcrest back in the 1900s. Um, Good to be back at Gateway. I think it's been about five years since I was here uh, with you guys and with you ladies. But before we go any further, today is October 31st, and it's the last day of Pastor Appreciation Month. You may not know that October is Pastor Appreciation Month. And I want to tell you guys and ladies before I get started, because I know I'm in a hurry. I've only got three hours for this message. So I need to get started. But I wanted to tell you guys and ladies, I've been in ministry 35 years. When I was a 14-year-old kid, the Lord called me to preach. And I have three older men in my life who have been pastors and shepherds to me. I'm a pastor and most pastors don't have a pastor. But I want to tell you, the man that pastors this church also pastors me. I don't, I don't know why I'm getting so emotional. But I want to honor, I want to honor you, Don. And I want to say to you, I've seen a lot. I, know, I literally know hundreds of pastors, and I just don't know a better man than you. You're a good man. You're a good dad, a good husband, a great leader, a great shepherd. So I want to honor you as a man of God and as a pastor and as a shepherd. Thank you for caring about people. Thank you for caring about me and my son and my family. Thank you for letting us use your lake house. Thank you for for just being awesome. Um, One more time, can we thank Jesus for this pastor and his wife, Mary, and the way that they serve and the way that, that they lead? And uh, was that how you told me? Was that exactly what you wanted me to say? Okay, just, just kidding, just kidding. It's really great for me to be back today. I want to tell you before I get started, um, there's an early service. Some of y'all don't know that there's a, a 9 a.m. service, but there is. And I want to tell you what just happened. The students had a service at 9 a.m. and we had a service in here. And uh, the people at Gateway have been praying for a big day of harvest where people will meet Jesus and come to faith. And in this service, we saw 39 people come to Christ in here at the 9 a.m. service. And, uh, and the students, Nick Miner is your youth pastor, and Nick and I have, have, were able to meet earlier this year and become friends. So this is, this is where I really get emotional. Uh, I have two boys, Jojo is 16 and Jacob is 19, and Jojo plays football at TL Hannah, and they just finished up their JV season. They outscored. I know some of y'all are like Dutch Fork, Irmo, yeah, whatever. Let me tell you about TL Hannah. <laughs> TL Hannah, 10th grade team, outscored their opponents 450 to 28 this season. That's my kid. Uh, he didn't do it all. He had some help. But my, my 19-year-old son, Jacob, is a freshman at Anderson University. And a couple of years ago, God called him to preach. And he's with me today. Jacob, would you just wave so everybody can see you and say hello? And Jacob spoke to the students this morning. And 16 teenagers made a profession of faith this morning to give their lives to Jesus. So... Um, 
You know, all the prayers, Pastor Don, God's heard every prayer we've prayed. This, this day today was scheduled three different times. Mac and I were supposed to come, then COVID happened, then, then we rescheduled it, then COVID hit again, and we just decided we're going to come today no matter what, and God has already moved, and I'm, I'm expecting God uh, to do it again in this gathering right here. Well, listen, if you have a Bible, you can join me in uh, Mark chapter five. If you have an iPhone or a smartphone device or something like that, feel free to join. The scriptures are going to be up on the screens. I'm gonna preach a message today that is one of my favorite in the Bible. Let me give you a little bit of background as to why I am so fascinated with the woman we meet in Mark chapter five. In 2016, I ended up becoming a pastor. I didn't ever expect to do that. My wife and I also run a, a pretty large nonprofit ministry called Crossroads, and we do summer camps and student conferences and mission trips and study tours to Greece and Turkey and Israel. But in 2016, I, was, I began writing a book. It was my 18th book, and it's the book I've always wanted to write about Jesus and specifically 12 people in the gospels that Jesus met personally, the thief on the cross, the woman caught in adultery, the woman at the well, Judas, the little boy that, you know, he had the lunchable and he gave it to Jesus and Jesus fed 20,000 people with a little Jewish lunchable. I'm, I'm so, after going to Israel nine times, I'm fascinated with the historical figure of Jesus and how Jesus treated people and changed people when he met them. But there was this one woman that was really one of the catalysts for me to write this book called Reborn, and it's the woman in Mark chapter five who meets Jesus in a very weird and unorthodox way. And as a result of her meeting Jesus, she is healed not just physically, but also spiritually and emotionally. And I know that right now in our culture, we need some healing. We need some unity. We need some leadership. We need God to do something in our nation. But I'm not so much focused on our nation today as I'm focused on you and what Jesus wants to do for you today in the next 30 minutes. So I'm going to read this story to you, and then I'm going to read you a little bit of what I learned straight from my book, because it's easier for me to read it than, than to just try to quote it. Now, my birthday is November 27th, so in 28 days, I turn 49, and I tell you that so you'll know why I'm holding my Bible like this <laughs> as I read the scripture. This is Mark chapter 5. If you're taking notes, the title of uh, this message is very simply faith to keep fighting. I know some of you need that today. A lot of us have thought about giving up. We've thought about quitting. We've wondered if the pandemic is ever going to go away. We've wondered if, if our country will ever stop fighting each other. We've wondered if our marriage will ever get better, if our health will ever improve, if the economy is ever going to come back, if, if we're going to be able to retire, if we're going to be able to pay for our kids to go to college. And I just want to give you encouragement today. You can have faith to keep fighting, not just for your marriage or your job or your family, but I want to encourage you today to have enough faith to keep fighting for your relationship with Jesus. And for some of you, when I give an invitation in about 28 minutes, some of you are going to recommit your life to Christ because you know him and you've been saved, but you've 
allowed something in your life to come between you and the Lord. But I believe even more of you are going to, for the first time, and I'm going to prophesy this and speak it in faith, that many of you, you're going to make a decision in about 28 minutes that is going to be the biggest decision of your life, more important than where you went to college, more important than the job you, you, you work at, more important than the person you marry. And it's the decision you make about whether or not you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Because that is an eternal decision that has eternal weight in your life. So this woman had faith to keep fighting. Let me just read it to you and you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell this same story. I like Mark's version. So I'm going to read it from Mark chapter 5. Now a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Having heard about Jesus, uh, she, this is weird, came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. Now leave that verse up there for a moment. I wanna draw your attention to one of the most important elements of this story. This is our English word for clothes, clothing, what you wear on your body. But that's not the word that was used in the original language. So Jesus spoke Hebrew and Aramaic. He also spoke Koine Greek. Old Testament was written in Hebrew with spatterings of Aramaic. New Testament was written in Koine Greek, spatterings of Aramaic here and there. Aramaic is now a dead language. Nobody speaks it. You can study it. But in our English translation, we get the word clothing. But I want to tell you, the word in Hebrew was not clothes. It was the Hebrew word kanaf, K-A-N-A-P-H, kanaf. That's important. That's why I'm fascinated. That's why I wrote the book. That's why I love this story. She reached up and grabbed hold of not just his clothing, like in a generic sense. No, she grabbed the kanaf. What is that? It's the corner of her clothing. It's the corner of his clothes. For a Jewish rabbi like Jesus, it would have been an everyday occurrence for him to get up and put on his clothes and then put on an outer garment. And that outer garment, just think about it like this. Think about a blanket with a hole cut out for your head. You put that blanket over you. They still wear this in the Middle East. They still wear this in Latin American countries. And on the four corners of that outer garment hung four tassels. They were blue. And Deuteronomy tells us about these tassels. These tassels were a reminder to the Jews of God's covenant promise and love for them. This is not a history lesson. I'm trying to draw a conclusion here that I'm going to come back to in a few minutes. When she reached up to grab his clothing, that feels weird to us. It's kind of like if you've seen, you know, videos of the Beatles when they came to America or Elvis in his heyday or Michael Jackson when, when he couldn't go anywhere, people just wanted to grab hold of them. That's the kind of rock star they had turned Jesus into because when he would go to any village, people had heard he could feed the, he could feed the hungry, he could heal the sick, he could raise the dead. So anytime Jesus came to a village, the people went crazy to try to get to him 
so they could get a miracle. But Mark is specific. She grabbed the corner of his outer garment, the kanaf. Now the word for tassel is zit, T-Z-I-T. There were four tassels on the corners. And all she did was reach up and grab the corner. Okay, let's get back to the scripture and let's see what happens when she does that. She heard that Jesus was coming. So she said to herself, if I could just grab the corner of his garment. Instantly when she did this, instantly her flow of blood ceased and she sensed in her body that she had been healed. Isn't that crazy? At once, Jesus realized in himself that that power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? Who grabbed the kanaf at the bottom of my garment? Who did this? That's kind of a crazy question. And the disciples knew that that was kind of a crazy question because they responded with, you see the crowd pressing against you and yet you ask who touched me? In other words, hey Jesus, everybody's touching you. Everybody's going crazy. Everybody wants a miracle. Everybody wants you to do something for them. Everybody's touching you. But Jesus knew that this woman had done it And he's not asking the question because he doesn't know who it was. See, Jesus knows everything. Can I pause right here for a second? Leave that up there. Jesus knows everything about me. He knows the things I'm afraid of. He knows the things that make me angry. He knows that for the last 25 years, I've been a depressed Dallas Cowboys fan and I'm filled with hope right now. He knows that. He knows what I hate. He knows I I hate cilantro and it makes me want to punch people in the face because I hate cilantro. And there's only 10% of us on earth, if science is right, that walk in the Holy Spirit and know that cilantro is satanic. The other 90% of you have been deceived. Jesus knows every, okay, seriously, you know what? Jesus knows everything about us. He knew that this woman had touched him. He knew why she had come. Jesus doesn't ask questions because he is deficient with knowledge. Jesus asks questions because he wants us to think about the question. Jesus knows every sin you've ever committed. He knows what you did in college. He knows what you did in high school. He knows about the addiction. He knows about the pills. He knows about the overdrinking. He knows about the thing you're hiding. He knows about the pornography. He knows about the anger. He knows about your depression. He knows about my anxiety. He knows about the things I've never told anybody. Jesus knows every horrible, dark, disgusting, sinister thing we've ever done. And here's why I love Jesus, because he loves me in spite of all of that. That's why I love him so much. There's a, you can clap if you want to. We can get Pentecostal. It's okay. I'm part Pentecostal. You can clap. I'll let you. Here's, here's what I love about Jesus. He takes this moment to draw attention to a woman who was as marginalized and outcast as anyone could have ever been in that culture. He, he knew who had touched him, even though the disciples didn't get it. Look at this. But he was looking around to see who had done this. And when he was doing it, the woman, the woman with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him. Do you see her humility? She's not arrogant. She's not proud. She's not like our culture. I mean, goodness gracious. You go to any sporting event and you're going to see like elementary school kids flexing on each other. You watch a pro game, a college game, A team can be down by five touchdowns and a player on the team that's down by five touchdowns makes a great play and jumps up and flexes like they've done something. 
You go to any sporting event and it's not even the kids that act up. You wonder which parent is going to lose their flipping mind and yell at the ref and scream and ah, go crazy. She has none of that. She, she comes to Jesus with fear and trembling. And in humility and a posture of worship, she falls down in front of Jesus and basically says, it was me. She came and fell down before Jesus and told him the whole truth. And look how Jesus responds to her. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. And I'm here to tell you, the reason I'm here today is to tell you that the same Jesus who healed her can heal you. The same Jesus that gave her peace is the only source that can give you peace. And the same Jesus who will send you away whole and healthy, he's the one that will give you health and wholeness of soul, of mind, and of body right here today. And I'm all about counseling. I am. I go to a counselor. I'm all about self-help. I'm all about taking care of your body. I'm all about exercising, eating right, and sprinkling some kale on top of a great meal to ruin it. I'm all about drinking water and no sweet tea and getting rid of the soda. And the, I, look, look, I'm all about all that. But at the end of the day, what I want to tell you is nobody can heal you eternally but Jesus. Now, if, I, if that's not true, then that's the most arrogant thing anyone could ever say. But if it is true that Jesus is the only source of salvation, healing, forgiveness, peace, and hope, then it's cruel of me to not tell you that. Four weeks ago today, I had a, I had a major health issue that sent me to the hospital and it almost took my life. I had a septic appendix and it burst inside of my body right as they began to operate on me and my body turned septic and they pumped me full of enough narcotics to kill an elephant. I don't know how I survived. They gave me fentanyl. They gave me morphine. They gave me Dilaudid. And then they put me on propofol to put me to sleep. And, I, and it was, I was miserable. My, they had a suction poison out of my body cavity with a vacuum cleaner and then scrub me to make sure my entire system was so messed up. There were so many times over that four week period before weeks tomorrow that I came out of surgery that I could relate to this woman. And it was only four weeks for me. So let me give you a little bit of a little bit of background on this woman's story. One reason I love her so much is because we can all relate to her in some way because human beings haven't changed in 2000 years. First of all, she was weak and poor. Don't miss this. This woman, whose name we don't know, we know her identity, daughter, daughter of God, but she was weak and she was poor. Why was she weak and why was she poor? Because she bled for 12 years. She bled for 12 years. We don't know anything about the medical condition. It could have, she could have been a hemophiliac, a free bleeder. She, maybe her blood didn't clot or coagulate. Maybe she had a bleeding ulcer. Maybe she had a nosebleed for 12 years. We don't know. But we do know that when someone loses blood, they get weak. Uh, 1989, uh, we were doing a blood drive at Hillcrest High School, and I am a sophomore at the time, a big football player, and you know I'm, I'm young and arrogant and dumb. And so I signed up to give blood because they said we get, we get to miss class. 
So I was going to do anything I could to miss math class because math is a tool of Satan to destroy the universe because God is not the author of confusion and math is confusing, which makes it satanic. So I just decided I'm signing up to go give blood, walk in the library. And one of the women was like, oh, hey, Clayton, it's uh, good to see you. Go over there and drink some orange juice and eat some cookies and then we'll take your blood. I'm like, no, I had breakfast this morning at like six. I'm good. She goes, well, a lot of people that have never given blood before don't really do well. And I've even occasionally seen some people pass out. And I'm like, not me. (laughs) You know, dumb and young, right? So I'll go over there. They take a pint of blood or a gallon of blood. I don't know how much they took. It was a big bag full. The next thing I know, I'm waking up on the couch in the library. She has covered me up with a blanket. It's like an hour later. I passed out cold, stone cold, Steve Austin cold. I'm telling you, it made me so weak. Why? Because I lost blood. This woman had been losing blood for 12 years. 12 years. Can you imagine how much iron she lost? Your blood oxygenates your cells. Her entire body was unable to function properly. She wasn't just sick, y'all. She was like really sick. It's a miracle she's even still alive. It's a bigger miracle that she is fighting through all of her fear to get to Jesus. Okay, so 12 years. That's how long she bled for. Just do the math with me. You remember first grade? Anybody remember first grade? Some of y'all are like, I know what happened, but I don't really remember it. Do you remember graduating from high school? Some of y'all are not there yet. First grade to your 12th grade year? That's 12 years. Imagine bleeding every day. And you know what the Bible says? She had spent everything she had on doctors, but she got worse. That's why she's poor. She has no money. I'm, I'm, I'm going to meet my deductible this year. Uh, my youngest son had to have MCL surgery towards MCL playing ball. I just got my bill yesterday from Ann Med for how much I owe for them saving my life by taking out a little organ that's the size of my pinky. I'm going to meet my deductible. And it hurt my feelings when I got that bill yesterday. <laughs> This woman had no money to pay a deductible, no HSA, no, no, no Medicare, no Medicaid. She's broke, broke, but yet she gets to Jesus. She didn't make an excuse. She didn't explain it away. It would have been easier for the woman in Mark 5 to just go, I've tried everything, nothing works. I've, every doctor has tried every cure. I'm just gonna be this way till I die. This sounds a lot like America to me. I am who I am. I was born this way. It is who it is. It is what it is. I am who I am. You do you. That's America for you. Can I tell y'all right now, and I'm sorry I'm getting loud. No, I'm not. I'm not sorry I'm getting loud. I believe this. Do not listen to the lies of America. It is not what it is. Don't just be okay with where your life is right now. If your relationships aren't where you want them to be, if your health isn't where you want it to be, if you and God are not where y'all need to be, do not buy into the excuse, this is just how it's gonna be when Jesus is offering you an opportunity to have your sins forgiven, your guilt removed, your anxiety mitigated through a relationship with him. Matter of fact, in about 10 minutes, I'm gonna give an invitation and some of y'all are gonna be tempted to make excuses. Oh, I don't need to pray to receive Christ. I was raised in church. I I was raised in a house. It didn't turn me into a dishwasher or a toilet. Being raised in church doesn't make you a Christian. 
Some of y'all are like, well, I've gone, to, I've gone to church my whole life. I'm good with God. You go to McDonald's, it doesn't make you a Big Mac. Don't think that just going to church occasionally makes you a Christian. Some of you are going to make this excuse. Well, I was confirmed, I, you know, whether it's the Methodist church or Episcopalian church or Catholic background, I was confirmed. Or if you're a Baptist, I got baptized. I walked the aisle at VBS. I, I made a decision. Listen, I know that church, because I've been in church my whole life, is filled with people who need Jesus, people who are broken. And every single one of us has a tendency to try to make excuses. And I don't want you to make an excuse. And I wanted to show you this woman from Mark chapter five to let you know, if she had made an excuse to stay home that day, she would have never had her bleeding stop. If she had decided there's no hope for me, nobody wants to talk to me, I'm unclean, the bleeding has been going on for a dozen years, there's nothing that anyone can do for me, she would have stayed home and she would have eventually bled to death. But when she goes to meet Jesus, excuses set aside, no, no excuse could have kept her away from Jesus. She not only gets physically healed, but she gets emotional and spiritual healing because Jesus sends her away in peace and he calls her daughter. She was weak and poor, like a lot of us find ourselves at times. Let me show you one more thing about her. Um, she was frustrated and afraid. She was frustrated and afraid. What is she so frustrated about? Well, she's frustrated because of her bleeding. She's unclean in Jewish culture. You can go back to Leviticus and you can read what the rules were about people who could not stop bleeding. If you lived in the Jewish culture in the Old Testament and you couldn't stop bleeding, whether it was a cut or a scrape or another issue, you couldn't go to the temple to worship or to give a sacrifice. You couldn't go to the synagogue to listen to the rabbi read from the scroll of Isaiah or teach about God, Yahweh. If you were bleeding, you could not participate in cultural life. Can you imagine how depressed she was? I know when the pandemic hit, I, man, I was frustrated. I've been frustrated for a year and a half. I'm ready for it to be over. I'm frustrated about so many things. But let me tell you how 2019 ended for me. 2019 was the best year of my life, literally. I'm adopted, never knew anything about my biological family. My mom and dad that adopted me died. And uh, my mom and dad are with the Lord. So in 2019, because of Ancestry.com and Facebook, or should I say Meta, um, I was able to find my biological family. Didn't meet anybody from my mom's side, but I met everybody from my biological dad's side. Just as a side note, I wouldn't tell this, but I'm in you know, the Columbia area. Come to find out, my dad's name was Frankie Martin, and he was from Sumter, and he owned Martin's Appliances and Gravestones. He sold gravestones and washers and dryers to people. How weird and awesome is that combo? Come here for clean clothes, and when you die, get you one of these. Uh, I met my biological family. I've got a sister and a brother that both live in Sumter. I got another sister and brother that live in Hemingway. 2019 was the best year we ever had at our, at our ministry at Crossroads, our summer camps. We had 5,400 kids at our camps. Winter conference, we had 2,500 students at our big winter conference. We had a great marriage conference in Asheville, North Carolina that sold out. It was just the best year ever. And then the last day of the year, 2019, last day of the year, 
December 31st, New Year's Eve. My wife and I and our two sons, Jacob was there. We go to Kampala, Uganda. Had a chance to preach the gospel in Nelson Mandela Stadium to 100,000 Africans. Gave the invitation literally moments before we go into 2020. And 20,000 people prayed to receive Christ. 20,000 people gave their lives to Jesus in one invitation. And that's, that's a real number. And then 2020 comes and everything's looking good. Things are going great at my church. Things are going great at our ministry. We're gonna break 6,000 kids at our camp. Probably gonna break 3,000 kids at our student conference. And then all of a sudden the world shuts down. And our nonprofit, just not our church, our nonprofit, Crossroads, we lost 100% of our budget in a year. $2 million vanished, gone, vaporized, canceled all of our camps, all of our conferences. You know, you've lived through it too. All of our mission trips, all of our trips to Israel and, and, and Greece, all of our study tours, everything gone, canceled. 40 events I'm supposed to preach at now can't happen. And I'm so frustrated. Do you know, I'm not kidding you, this seriously, because I'd spent so much time reading about this woman because I wrote about her I felt like I knew at least part of her story. Over and over again, I would think about her. I've been going through it like you have for 18 months, 12 years. She fought the frustration. 12 years. She's isolated. She's frustrated. She's afraid. She did not make an excuse. She did not let any of that keep her away from Jesus. I want to read this to you. It's easier for me to read it straight from the book. I want to read to you what I learned about her. And I want you to listen to this because there's some math here. It's going to blow your mind. She had been unclean for 12 years and anyone who came into contact with her or anything she touched would also be unclean. She had to stay outside the community while she was bleeding and she couldn't enter the synagogue to worship for a week after she stopped. But she never stopped. So she could never go to the synagogue. She could never be around the people she loved. She could never touch people without making them unclean too. Imagine the implications. When people saw her coming, they ducked into a room, maybe crossed the street to avoid being close to her. Imagine being this woman and trying to get married or have children or play a role in the community when everyone thought you were unclean. Her sickness left her isolated from the people around her. It's possible she had not known human touch for 12 years until Jesus. Now imagine this with me. If this woman, a good Jew, had prayed once a day for 12 years for God to heal her, she would have prayed 4,380 unanswered prayers. If she was a devout Jew and she had prayed five times a day, which every Jew prayed five times a day, if she had prayed five times a day for God to heal her over 12 years, that's 21,900 seemingly unanswered prayers until she met Jesus. Yet somehow, this frail woman dragged her anemic body out of the house and fought her way towards Jesus, believing if she could just grab his garment, she would be healed. 
What was it about the garment? I told you it's called the kanaf. What was it about that thing that pushed her to get to Jesus? I want to explain this before I'm done. Here's the deal. Malachi tells us in Malachi, the Old Testament book, the old, the last book of the Old Testament, there is a verse in Malachi she had read over and over again. And here's what it says. When the son of righteousness rises with healing in his wings, that's literally the son of righteousness, a prophecy of Jesus. And when it says he will rise with healing in his wings, when I, think, when I see the word wings, I think airplanes, birds, or buffalo wild wings, barbecue, my favorite. That's what I think about when I think about wings. But if you think about the word wings in an expanded way, the wing of a building, the wing of a hospital, the word wings from Malachi chapter four, for those who fear the Lord, for those who trust his name, <clears throat> The son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. <clears throat> when she saw the word wings, she knew the Hebrew word, kanaf, the corner, the tassel. That's literally what it says in Hebrew. And she thought to herself, if I can just get to him, if I can just grab hold by faith, I'll be healed. You know what? I, I, if I could paraphrase it, I would say it this way. Faith replaces fear but not without a fight. It's not easy, but it's worth the fight. It's not easy to keep getting up and going back over and over again. It would have been easier for her to quit, but her faith had to fight through that fear to get to Jesus. And when she did, she grabbed the wings, the healing. It's not just the kanaf. There's healing in the kanaf. There's healing in the tassels. So <clears throat> I told you I'm fascinated by this woman and I'm sitting I'm working on the book, trying to finish my deadline, and I'm reading a commentary, and I'm sitting on the couch in my house. Now, you need to know something about my house. My house belongs to my wife. She lets me live there. <laughs> and she decorates however she wants, and I just say, that looks great, and I'm, I'm, you know, brute labor. Well, our house, if you come to it, has approximately 1,382 pillows in our house, and um, only four of them are allowed to have human touch. The rest just sit on things and then get moved around and um, recycled with new covers and things like that. So I can't sleep on them, can't lay on them, can't sit on them. But occasionally, like this day, I'll rest my arm on top of one. So I'm reading this about the kanaf and I'm reading this about the tassel. And I think to myself, oh, the tassels were blue in, Le in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, it talks about them. And the tassels, four tassels, there's, there's tassels right here on this pillow where I've got my arm rested. This would be an awesome sermon illustration. So I look around the house and my wife's not there. The coast is clear. I can vandalize her pillow and she'll never know. And if she does, I'll just blame it on Jacob. So I reach over with my hand and I grab hold of that tassel and I yank and I pull it off and I break it and I present to you today the tassel. This is the real, this is the, not a, this is not a fake. This is not a counterfeit. This is the tassel that I pulled off the corner of my wife's pillow and she still doesn't know and you better not tell her. And I'm looking at this tassel and half of it's blue and I'm thinking, there is no magic power. This isn't, this can't heal me. This couldn't heal her. It wasn't the tassel that saved her. It was her faith. 
Everybody was reaching for Jesus, but she reached for Jesus with faith, no excuses. And when she grabbed hold of that tassel, she was grabbing hold of a promise. And she had every reason to stay home that day, but she did not let excuses keep her from salvation. And that's what I want for you today, no excuses. You got a thousand reasons to not fully devote your life to Jesus. And none of them, none of them should keep you from the one reason you should. You should give your life to Jesus because he loves you and he died on the cross to save you and give you a new life filled with hope and peace and the promise of eternity. So I wanna invite you. Just reach out and grab him. Fight through your fears and reach out with faith and take hold of his promise for you. Would you close your eyes? Open your hearts. I'm gonna invite everybody right now just to close your eyes and open your heart to the Lord. I don't manipulate and drag out invitations. I make them very simple and very clear. Some of you today need to recommit your life to Jesus. But some of you need to get saved. You need to fully trust him. Maybe you've been playing church. Maybe you've convinced yourself that because you believe in a God, that makes you a Christian. But even the demons believe in God, James 2.19, and they tremble at his name. So go beyond just believing that God exists. Open your heart up to Jesus and let Jesus save you, forgive you, take away your fear, help you with your anxiety, help you with your depression, give you hope that this world is not the end, it's just the beginning, and there is an eternity awaiting you in the presence of Jesus Christ. His sons and his daughters get to experience that. You can become his son, you can become his daughter right now. Pray this to him in your heart if you want to. You're not praying it to me, you're praying it to Jesus. Just pray this to Jesus right now. If you wanna fully devote your life to him, trust him and be saved and healed. Pray this to him in your heart. Jesus, I need you. Go ahead, pray it to him, he's listening. He's right here. Jesus, please save me. I invite you in to my life. I repent of my sin. I receive your grace. I confess you as Lord. And I believe you're alive. I put my faith in you, Jesus. And I give you everything. I'm all yours. And I'm all in. I'm gonna ask you to keep your eyes closed. I'm sure you can feel what I'm feeling right now. This is a holy moment. But I'm gonna ask you to do something. Keep your eyes closed. I'm not gonna point you out. I'm not gonna embarrass you, but I'm gonna ask you to do something. If you just prayed that prayer to Jesus, don't make excuses and don't be afraid and don't be embarrassed. 
because there is no shame in the gospel of Jesus Christ, Romans 1.16. So if you just prayed to receive Christ, I'm gonna ask you to do something. Children, high school students, college students, young adults, grandma and grandpa, if you just prayed to receive Christ, I'm gonna ask you to do something right now. Just raise your hand straight up above your head and keep it up. Keep it up for a minute because I want to see it. I'm not going to point you out, but I want you to raise it up, straighten your elbow out because I want to count. That's how I know 39 people got saved in the previous service. Raise them up high enough for me to see it and then I'm going to let you put it right back down, okay? Keep them up, please. It's going to take a minute because there are a lot. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40, 41, 42, 43, 44, 45, 46, 47, 48, 49, 50, 51, 52, 53, 54, 55, 56, 57, 58, 59, 60, 61, 62, 63, 64, 65, 66, 67, 68, 69, 70, 71, 72, 73. Hold up. Don't clap. Don't cheer. Don't go crazy. All 73 of you that just raised your hands, congratulations. Welcome to the family of God. You can put your hands down. Now I'm going to ask everybody to open their eyes and look at me. First of all, can we immediately and deliberately join the party in heaven because Luke says there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels when one sinner comes to faith and 73 people just came to faith. So can we celebrate and rejoice in God's salvation? It's God's salvation. It's a free gift. And a lot of y'all just received it by faith. But this is where it's about to get really fun. See, this is the blessing of coming to the second service. I don't have to look at the clock. All right, here's what we're going to do. Pastor Don told me to be obedient to the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to. So let's get the house lights turned up nice and bright. We're all looking. Everybody's eyes are open. I'm going to do something. This is going to be crazy. I'm going to count to three. And when I get to three... I'm going to ask. You don't have to, but you get to. You're already saved if you repented of your sins and believed in your heart. And you ask Jesus to come in, your sins are forgiven. Justice was served on Jesus. You don't have to pay the punishment for your sin. You're his daughter. You're his son. Now let's go a step further. For every child, for every teenager, for every adult that just prayed to receive Christ, I'm going to count to three. And when I say three, if you just raised your hand... I want to invite you to stand up in front of all of us. And don't you listen to the devil. He's going to give you reasons not to. Oh, you'll be embarrassed. You'll be ashamed. People will be looking at you. We're going to look at you and we're going to lose our flipping minds because we know how good Jesus is and we're not ashamed of him. And we want you to taste and see that the Lord is good and never be satisfied with anything else. So you don't have to stand up, but you get to. And this is your public profession that you have responded to the gospel for salvation or recommitment. So here we go. I want to count to three. And everybody just... Hold your applause until I get to three because people start standing up usually when I get to one. Are you going to do it? 
Don't say you can't do it. Yes, you can. Because the spirit of the living God lives in you now and he makes you bold and courageous. There is no excuse for you to stay seated if you just prayed to receive Christ because the spirit of God gives you courage. Here we go. You gonna do it? One. I told you. Two. Three. Let's go. Three. Let's go. Be bold. Don't sit down. Don't sit. Stand up and stay standing. Woo! Woo! Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Stay standing. Anybody else? Stand up. Anybody else? Yeah. That's it. Yes. Yeah. Come on. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Don't don't wait. Stand up. Stand up. Counselors, stand up. Go ahead, counselors. Counselors, you're supposed to be standing too. Come on. Get up on your feet, counselors, because we're going to need every one of you. Wow. All right. I'm going to ask one more time. I didn't do this in the first service, but I know there is somebody, and I, I was peeking because I'm the preacher. I always look. But there are some of you that prayed to receive Christ and, you're, and you raised your hand. And again, you don't have to do this. I understand what it's like to be a little afraid and trepidatious in a moment like this. But I just feel like there is somebody right now, your heart is about to beat out of your chest. You want to stand up so bad, but you're so scared. And you're like, if that preacher asks one more time, I'll know he's talking to me. I'm asking one more time and I'm talking to you. And I'm going to ask right now, is there anybody else? You just prayed to receive Christ. You're already saved. But you just want to stand up right now and punch fear in the face. Fight through the fear and let faith win out. Is there anybody else that wants to stand up right now, young or old, to say, I just gave my life to Jesus? This is your chance. Stand up right now. All right. Here's how we're going to do this. The band's going to lead us in a song. We're going to worship for just a few minutes. For everybody that prayed to receive Christ, here's what I want you to do. We need three and a half minutes with you to pray with you. We have counselors, adult counselors, that are trained to just pray with you because you've just begun a relationship with Jesus. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. The counselors are going to walk with you. This side of the room, I want you all to begin to walk right over here. Can somebody wave your hand and go right over there? And you guys, right over here. Right now, please don't sit down. This is called an invitation. You're responding. Just walk right over there to your right. All of you guys and ladies that respond, including counselors, would you all walk right over here to your left? Go right now. Go right now. We're going to celebrate. We're going to clap and cheer and thank God. Everybody go to talk to a counselor for three and a half minutes so that we can help you follow up and take your next step as a new believer in Christ. Hey, guys, I want to say this immediately and deliberately. Only Jesus can save us all. A church can't do it. A pastor can't do it. Worship leader can't do it. Evangelist can't do it. Only Jesus can do it. Satan has lost another multitude to the kingdom of God today. He'll never get them back. They've been bought with a price, the blood of Jesus. They belong to God. Praise God. Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. And then Mac and the band are going to lead us in a, in, a, in a song. Hey, Mac is here today. Um, and I want to tell you this. Uh, what This guy literally. Mac, you're writing worship songs that... that are literally changing the church, man. And I remember that first time I came and you and your mom were doing the, the Mac Brock Band. Was that what it was called? The Mac Brock Band? What was it called? The, the Brock Band of... Doc Summers, Doc Summers Band. Eh, same thing as Mac Brock Band. But Doc Summers Band. And that man, just as a young man, you were anointed and you have walked in that anointing. 
and you are really, you're anointed to write worship music for this generation. Max got a brand new record. It's out in the lobby. Go, go bless his ministry and get that on your way out. Um, I also brought my book with me today. And listen, I'm doing something with my book. It sells for $20. I'm just selling it to people for whatever they want to pay. And if you don't have any money today and you want one, come and get one. My gift to you. If you can pay for one, that's great too. But if you can't, I would love for you to have this book. It's about 12 people that met Jesus. It's great for Christians and new believers. And listen, um, both of us have this thing. If you buy a book or some of Max New Music, that money goes to feed hungry kids. Um, his two and my two that live with us and that <laughs> eat our groceries. Oldest joke in the book and it still works. So I'll be out in the lobby. I'd love to meet you out there if you get a book. Lord, thank you for what you've done today in your church and how you have blessed us with your presence. We give you glory and honor immediately and deliberately for your salvation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.